Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. In today's program, we are studying the book of First Chronicles, chapter 17. Here's Pastor Ryan. Turn with me in your Bibles tonight to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, please. That's 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And give me an amen once you are there. And Father, we do come before you again this evening with just gratitude, Lord, that we can come before you, the one true living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God of King David in which we're studying tonight, Lord. Bless your house here, Lord. Bless your people, Lord. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts in a special way tonight. Lord, counsel us through your word. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the heart, and we pray for that tonight, Lord. Father, we need your grace. Lord, I can do nothing without you. So, Lord, may you bless this time. May it be all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, Amen. All right, so in our story, as you know, the Lord is establishing King David and his kingdom. And he's there in Jerusalem. The the Ark of the Covenant is now there. Worship is established there. The capital is buzzing. All of Israel is rejoicing over their king, who's a godly king. And how goes the king? Goes the nation. And so Israel is extremely blessed at this time. And we get to see David, who's a man after God's own heart, really showing us what loving God looks like. He's worshiping the Lord he's obeying his word, he's making sure that worship is being done properly and often and regularly. We just see in his life so much that we can learn from. And so in verse 1, we read now that David is at his house, and it's after the Ark of the Covenant has been brought to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 1, Now it came to pass, when David was dwelling in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. And so there he is. We know that David had a beautiful house built for him with cedar wood from Lebanon. And as he's there with the prophet Nathan, which was a godly prophet, a good prophet of the Lord Nathan, he's sitting there in in all of that beautiful palace house of his. I'm sure the wood smelled amazing because it was a new home. But he thought within himself that it wasn't right that he was in this beautiful house and the Lord's Ark of the Covenant is there under tent curtain. And so he was able to recognize that. He's a godly man and he sees that something ain't right about that, that he's in a beautiful house and the Lord is just there under a tent or the ark is anyways, a representation of the Lord. And I love David's heart in that because he sees that God deserves better than what is there. That's his heart. In his heart, he feels that God deserves better than what is there at that moment. And throughout scripture, we are told as God's people to give God our best, right? We see it throughout the Old and New Testament. God's people are exhorted, encouraged, 
commanded to. Give God your best. Give him your best efforts. And so David sees this and he, he sees that it isn't right, that we need to do better for the Lord. And I feel that the Lord is calling us today, no doubt, in these last days, to give God better, to give God the best of our efforts. In the Old Testament, as I had mentioned, God's people were commanded to give them their best efforts in seeking him, that they were to seek the Lord with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their soul. That means with everything that they are, with all of their strength, they were to seek the Lord and give him the best of their seeking. They were also exhorted to give the best of their obedience to his word, to not just read the word or hear the word, but to obey him, the best of their efforts in serving the Lord the best of their efforts in their sacrifices and in their offerings. In fact, Jesus was asked, like, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, to give God your best, to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Amen? And when we we go through the Old Testament and we see how Israelites were commanded to give to the Lord their sacrifices, they weren't to give them just any old sacrifices. The sacrifices needed to be the best. In Leviticus chapter 22, verse 20 through 24, Moses says, whatever has a defect, like whatever offering you're going to give, whatever free will offering you're going to give, whatever has a defect in it, you shall not offer for it shall not be accepted on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind and broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs you shall not offer to the Lord nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar of the Lord and so even in the sacrifices they had to be perfect they had to be without blemish and so God was teaching his people throughout scriptures give God the best and the reason why we want to give God the best is because God gave us his best his only begotten son who died to redeem us from the pit of hell. His precious life was given as a sacrifice, as you know, on the cross. And that blood wipes out all of our sin. And then God looks upon us as if we we are completely innocent. And how beautiful is that? And because of that fact, we see throughout scripture, give God your best. I wonder how many of us are sitting around like David and pondering, how, how can I do better for the Lord? As Christians, that should be our in our thoughts, how we can do life better in the Lord, how we can be better parents, how we can be better grandparents. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we giving, are we doing our best? And all of us here have been given some level of responsibility by the Lord. Everyone here, we all have something that we're responsible for or someone. And if you're not responsible, over someone, you're responsible over yourself, are you not? And so it's a good question to ask. Since Christ loved me enough to give his life for me, and I'm no longer going to hell, but I'm going to heaven, am I giving him my best and seeking him every day? Am I giving him my best in my servanthood as a husband, as a father? And I speak to all the husbands and fathers here. Are we loving our wives like Christ loved the church? Are we being good parents? Mothers, are we being good mothers? Wives, are you loving your husbands? Are you respecting them as unto the Lord. And so we want to give God our best. He deserves our best. And even in ministry, you know, I've been a Christian for 22 years and he knows I've had to be forgiven for not giving them my best at at various times in 
in my walk. Does anybody agree with me? You feel my pain? I mean, or, or have you guys been just level 10 energy, effort? No. But we're told to run the race, right? To run it in such a way that we win it. And so it's a good to see David so concerned about giving God something better than, than what is there. That should be our heart. Too many times we give our best efforts to the things that we are personally interested in, right? Some of us, it's our hobbies, it's our whatever it may be, like the things that we personally are into, we'll put in effort, we'll put in time, we'll put in energy, we'll put in money. But when it comes to the things of God, not so much. We want to have the heart of our Lord. We want to put God first and give God the best of our energy, of our time, of our money, and and to really seek the Lord and to see how we can do things better for him because he deserves it. In Colossians 22 and 23, it says, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye servants as men's pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And so even in our service, and I'm so blessed by all the servants at our church, and, and I, you know, we can clearly see you do it unto the Lord. But it's a good reminder, right, to, to say, Lord, can I do it better? And I know as a pastor, that's my prayer. Lord, how can I be better as a pastor? How do I give you uh, the best of my, my time, my ear, my service? So something that we cry out to, to God in order to receive it. It is God who does it through us. It isn't our own strength. So that's a beautiful thing, right? So if you're here tonight and you're saying, yeah, I haven't given God my best. I haven't given God all of my strength to serve him. Then, you know, you can begin tonight. Just cry out to God in prayer and say, Lord, give me a, a heart that is just sold out to give you my all. And you'll see him change that in you. And so, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. Then Nathan said to David, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. What a beautiful word from this prophet. Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. And Nathan, in saying that, you, you can understand why he would say that. I think the prophets of that time were, were very encouraging towards God's people, that as the Lord leads you, be blessed and in what you do for the Lord, he's with you. And, and no doubt Nathan knew David. He knew he was a godly man, a man after God's own heart. And, and he saw that God was blessing him, that God was with him. And David gives him this idea that he wants to do something better for the Lord. And he says, do all that is in your heart for God is with you with you. But the reality is that God was not, did not want David to build them a temple. But yet the prophet said, do all that is in your heart. And that blesses my heart because how many times have we thought or said, oh, for sure, God be with you, brother. God be with you, sister. Seems like a good idea to me. Be warm and be blessed and go forth and be fruitful, right? We've all said that. We've all thought, okay, yeah, the Lord, the Lord's behind this. You know, I spoke to a brother and he shared with me this and he shared with me that or a sister. You've all been, you've all heard those, uh, those requests for prayers because they feel the Lord is leading them a certain way. And you know that they're godly. You know that God has blessed them. You know that God speaks to them. And you say, go for it. And then I, I've done that as a pastor many times. And I've learned to, you know, a, a few times I've said yes to something or no to something. Then I go home and have some real good prayer. And the Lord's like, you need to call that person in the morning, first thing, and say what I want you to say to them. And, and it may be a no or a yes or, or 
or a not now. But we see in Nathan that you can, even prophets jump the gun and are hasty in their blessings. Go for it. Do it. Does anybody feel like that blesses them tonight? It does to me. And so sometimes we do get ahead of God. And in these last days that we're living in, we want to be very careful. We need to be so wise as to the Lord's leading. Just because we feel that the Lord is putting something on our heart, it doesn't mean that God is automatically in it. We need to make sure in these days. We need to not be so hasty in our decision making. What's the rush? Oftentimes we are, but God is so peaceful and so wise and so on time that it's best when you have a big decision, when I have a big decision, to spend time with the Lord. Because those impressions of the heart or the vision God may give you to do something, it may be that God does want you to do that, but it may look a little different when you get there, or it may look like what you expect it to look, but it's just not the right timing, you see? And for if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time. God has spoken to your heart. God has led you to places. God has spoken concerning your future, things to do. He has. There's dreams. There's visions. There's a word, you know, where to move, where to stay, where to go, uh, what ministry to be involved in. And and we, we see it all in the body of Christ. We seek the Lord for these answers and he gives us impressions. Well, let us learn not to jump at the impression, but to weigh it out with the Lord through prayer. If any of you lacks wisdom, God says, let him ask and God will give it to us liberally and without reproach. So slow, slow in your decision making it's always good and it's always good to get counsel especially in church you know with god-fearing brothers and sisters that you know seek the lord to really bounce our ideas or the vision or the word that god has given us uh, with some wise people in proverbs 11 verse 14 it says where there is no counsel the people uh, fall but in the multitude of counselors there is safety james 3 verse 17 is another good one concerning the will of god it says but the wisdom that is from above is first pure than peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hospitality. I love that verse because it's true. Where God leads, there's peace. Where God leads, there's purity, there's gentleness. Where God leads, it aligns with scripture. And so oftentimes we made hasty decision. We didn't even weigh it out. Is this peaceable? Is this a God? Do I have peace in this decision? Or is this out of fear? Just because we know the Lord, just because God is in us by his Holy Spirit, and just because God has blessed our life, doesn't mean that he's necessarily into every move that we make for ourselves. We want to seek him out. Amen? Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But it happened that night, that was quick, that night, Nathan, that the word of God came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord. I like that. He referred to David as my servant David, right? Wasn't Moses referred to as the servant of the Lord? Oh, we serve a servant king who washed his disciples' feet. Remember that? And him being our master, if he humbled himself that way to get on his knees and wash the dirty feet of grown men. And that's what our Lord did. He washed their feet and said to them, I'm your master and look at me, I'm serving as an example to them that they ought to serve one another. And I don't know if washing feet is it anyone's gift in here. Is, is anyone here called to feet wash? So we might open up that ministry. Now I say that as a real a deep lesson, I believe, that there are just services that we do 
that you don't find in scripture. I mean, I guess it would be the gift of helps. It's just something that needs to be done. Sometimes we need to wipe noses of little kids. Sometimes we have to wash feet. And so there oftentimes you get the folks that say, you know what, I just don't feel a calling to do this or that or this. And then there's no service in their life, you know. And there's a lot that we do. And, and a lot of us wear a lot of hats within the church and we do various ministries and that aren't necessarily our cup of tea or we feel that it's our calling, but it needs to be done. And for Jesus, I, we will wash feet, let alone teach in the children's ministry. Amen? But he was a servant. Tell me, you know, Nathan saying, go, he, he spoke to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in, for I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought up Israel, even to this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wherever I have moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? What beautiful words to Nathan that God says. You know, God is telling them, I, I never asked for a cedar temple. I never asked for a fancy church building. I, I went from tent to tent from the time I, I brought Israel out of Egypt. It was tent to tent, tabernacle to tabernacle. I don't need those things. And it's true, our God doesn't need those things, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's, he's creator God. He made the beautiful mountains and the beautiful stars that are outside tonight and the oceans and all the living creatures, the beauty oh, that God has created. Why would he need a little temple in Jerusalem made of cedar? He's saying, I, didn't need, I don't need those things. He's God. And what a reminder that our faith is relational. And it's about our relationship with God. It isn't a relationship with the building. God doesn't, you know, and buildings are nice. He gives them the green light because God has a purpose for buildings. I'm not one of those who don't agree that God doesn't have a purpose for buildings. He does. He, buildings are a necessity. But the substance is Christ and a relationship with God. What good is a cedar building or a fancy temple or a fancy church if Christ is not the center of it, if his word isn't preached, if his spirit isn't moving, if there isn't love in that church, if there isn't love in that temple, if it isn't a place where sinners can come and get saved, what good is it but nothing but a building? And there are plenty of beautiful buildings packed with people, but the substance of Christ isn't there. And Jesus is on the outside of some of those buildings, fancy buildings, trying to get in, knocking at the door. How many cathedrals in Europe lie empty on Sundays? Just beautiful cathedrals all over Europe that are no longer uh, packed with, with Christians because, you know, the Lord isn't working there because the people aren't giving themselves over to the Lord. Doctrinally, they've compromised in Europe so badly, so badly they've turned from the word of the Lord. So I love God that he says, I, I, I don't really, I didn't, I don't need those things. I wasn't, you know, he's basically saying that he, he didn't need those things before. No need of a temple. And um, it reminds us to remain humble. You know, it is a blessing that our story deals with us going from, you know, one school to another school, setting up. Um, just humble, humble beginnings. And then going to a park during COVID and, and being out there in the middle of nature, just like the Israelites. And then God taking us and giving us this building within, what, a month after we were there. I think we started in, in June, June, first Sunday in June. And we, we began meeting here 
the first Sunday in August. That's two months. So God has done an amazing work. And as long as he's the substance, then temples and our church will be right on the money. It'll be a wonderful thing. But, you know, let us have the mind of Christ. Jesus, our Lord, is, was so humble so humble and we need to remember that in these last days it's not like the world where it's a big just shiny golden thing that everyone is in awe of the lord came so humbly and we're exhorted in the bible to be humble as he was humble in philippians 2 5 it says let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus who being in the form of god did not consider it robbery to be equal with god but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even to the death of the cross now that verse blesses my heart because i don't want to get ahead of the lord and think well we need all of this these fans things for the church and we need to spend all this money to get all all fancy one day and the substance is christ and we can do some nice things i'm not against that but i'm not gonna be moved by like many pastors are I, I, you hear it and it's sad where pastors are like or, or christians within those churches say oh if we only had this in our church or if we only had this that at our church then god will bless it then it would then people will come and then you know all of that goes out the window when i hear that god's saying i you know i was i went from tent to tent and he did fine leading his people did he not from tent to tent he didn't need notre dame in paris it's just simple that the power might be in christ and not in a building and if more about the humility of our lord isaiah 53 remember that one verse 2 for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground he has no form or comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him that's heavy the word tells us that our Lord was very lowly and not someone that in appearance we would all be like, oh, that's him. It's amazing, isn't it? How do we know it's him? By the works that he did, by the words that he spoke. How do we know that Christ is here? Because the power of his word is preached here. Because the love of Christ is here. Because people are getting saved here. Because, you know, sinners are repenting. He's here. May not look like much, but he's here. It looks like a lot to me in comparison to the schools. It look, looks really nice. Back in, or not back in, but we'll get to chapter 22 eventually. But what's interesting is when Solomon is, when David is going to hand the kingdom over to Solomon. And David cannot build the temple. But, and, he, and he tells Solomon the reason why. Why did God say no to David? And so he tells him in chapter 22, David tells his son Solomon that the word of the Lord had came to him and said to him, you have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. And so the reason why the Lord said no was because David had shed so much blood in all the wars that he fought. Now, it wasn't a bad thing that he shed the blood of his enemies, for he was God's warrior, God's instrument in fighting them. So the blood was of valor and honorable. It wasn't like it was a bad thing in God's sight. David was a mighty warrior. That's his calling. Part of his calling, he was priestly, he was a 
prophet of the Lord. He's a shepherd boy who became a king. But he was also, King David is known as the fighter, the warrior. That's what he was. His son, not so much. Not at all, in fact. He would be known as a man of rest. And if you think about the long life of King David and how amazing uh, his life was, how, it's like you do, it's God in his wisdom. It's like, yeah, I don't think I want you to do that. He, David lived such a full life. Like, we're going to add to that the building of a, a temple. And so I see God's wisdom in just not allowing him to do so. But God mentions the blood, and God desires that men get saved. His temple is going to be a place where the world can come, where his people, the Jews, can come on pilgrimage three times a year and reminisce and commemorate the goodness of God, where sacrifices and praises and and hurting people can come and learn of God, where the Gentiles can see the Jews as a light there and come to know the God Jehovah. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicollet Street in Banning, California. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. Cherubim, above.